This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. You're listening to Hear Us Say with Renisha on Otago Access Radio at 105.4 FM Dunedin. I hope you're all doing well. Welcome to another episode of Hear Us Say. Um, I hope you had an epic um, holiday. If you're still on the holiday mode, then that's fine as well. I think I am too. I'm slowly getting back into my, um, I guess, my daily routines that I had for last year, but improving a little bit more. So have time for self-care um and self-love i guess um today's episode we have someone very very lovely um and um she has been doing epic work in the community um especially in wellington and auckland um so without further ado let me invite you nora kia ora uh hi my name is nora i'm 16 and i live in methvin uh, but i got a kura up in otatahi um i'm very passionate about racism and climate change um and also the intersectionality between the two which often isn't touched on um i last year i attended the race Uni speech awards in auckland uh, which kind of kicked off my passion uh for all things race relations and then i founded the multicultural old Aki youth council uh to encourage conversations around social cohesion within our community yeah, yeah that's a bit about me <laughs> yeah, and I think you're also helping out with the national rangatahi council as well right the multicultural council. yeah I am um, yeah I have the privilege um of being on that with Renisha and Rabia yeah. so it's great <laughs> yeah, I think you're the youngest on there actually so um you've done amazing wonderful stuff you know to um say that you want to be on there and it's great and epic to see the contributions that you're making to the council as well um so today um like uh, um, Nora has said she's joining us from a distance so we're doing this over zoom again um so before we started the session um Nora and I had a quick um chat and then we sorted out some mosaic cards that we can talk about um interestingly Nora had those mosaic cards from the race relation um uh speech stuff so it's interesting to see how our young people are taking you know conversations to another level about social cohesion already um so Nora if we start from the the mapping opinion so personal level and you know get started about um little stuff so I'm gonna ask the big question so our um, listeners are aware of what the ultimate goal is and then if you you want we can jump into the sub questions but it can work out however you like um so the question is what did you learn about the treaty of Waitangi or Te Tiriti or Waitangi at school um, I think mine was probably a little bit different. Um, I moved from Ireland to New Zealand when I was seven. So I kind of missed the initial part of primary school in those first two years. Yeah. Um, but I, I lived in a very Pākehā dominated um, part of Aotearoa. So yeah. my education around it, it was there, um, but it wasn't necessarily in depth. And I don't think that it became more in depth throughout the throughout my years at primary school and moving into the high school intermediate age. Um, yeah. I also don't take history as a subject Uh, so that probably there probably was a lack of information in that in my own selection choices Mm. Um, but yeah I think I definitely learned about um, Tiriti being that of more like a list of roles and a contract rather than what I think of it being now is more so um, of a personal relationship um, and an obligation between that of Pākehā 
and yeah and Tangata Whenua um, which I think probably needs to necessarily not necessarily be included in the curriculum um, in an academic context but it needs to be taught uh, heavily throughout uh, like in regards to Tinoranga Tiratanga from right through from primary up, up to high school yeah yeah, that's very interesting. And um, and I think a lot of our young people who came around that age group to New Zealand would share the same values and beliefs that they weren't really exposed yeah. to a lot of stuff, um, um, you know, that was 3D based or that talked about 3D in school as well. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting to hear your perspective. I think one thing that comes when we talk about um, school and the treaty is that recently there's been a lot more done to include, um, you know, um, the history, the Maori history into the curriculum. So what do you think about that? What are your views on that? Yeah, I think um, it's really important and it's so necessary and I'm really excited um, about what they've been doing. I just hope that it's uh, not just for those students that are taking uh, senior subjects in history that are able to access those resources, um, but that it's, you know, it's encouraged and that it's an um, incorporated in the curriculum from a really young age that we're all well versed in it um, and not in the way that we learn the exact same thing every single year but that we're learning different lenses um, that we're learning different aspects of the treaty um, mm-hmm. so that we're able to you know to um, diversify our knowledge in a way um, yeah. and continue to expand it as we grow older as well yeah if I'm not wrong I think um, they have started to incorporate it um, in the high school curriculum where year nine and ten I think it's become compulsory or something like that but you don't have to take it necessarily from year 11 moving on but um, you know I share that point of view that um, year nine and ten while it's great to have a good start or like have a start to begin with I think it again like you said it needs to come from a younger age Um, and not just only um, teaching the history of, um, you know, the Tangata Whenua, but also further, um, you know, putting the way the life has been for Tangata Whenua mm-hmm. into the ways and the structures that we currently have. Um, you know, the school system, it's really structured in a way that this happens this way. And it's a very um, modernized and Europeanized. So I would like to see a lot more holistic approach to students' well-being. Um, I think that it's slowly being incorporated nowadays, but a lot mm-hmm. more when it comes to not just taking health as a subject in school, but rather, um, you know, regardless of whatever you're doing, science, maths, whatever that may look like for you. So I really would like to see that more. Um, but that's my personal point of view. Yeah, no, definitely. And I can totally totokura that. Um, yeah. I think in a kororo that I had recently, um, we had a chat about not necessarily decolonizing education, but reimagining it as a whole. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that the values of the Tangata Whenua are taught through the education yeah. system so that it's not just the historical context, um, but also like the implications of colonization as well. Um, yeah. yeah, but I also had a chat about in regards to like ethnic refugee um, and migrant communities that move over at an older age that they there should be some program um, or some curriculum so that for those students that haven't been well versed in it from a young age they haven't been through the New Zealand education system from a young age that they also have the opportunity to learn about it um, mm-hmm. and learn about the personal relationship that they also to have as the treaty of people to come to Aotearoa as well yeah yeah definitely and I think um, Rabia and the multi um, multicultural council has been doing quite a bit so I saw a lot of the senior members and members and the elders of our um, you know ethnic communities have traveled the all all the way to the Waitangi ground um, and yeah. um, made an attempt to learn about the history and I think that is um, the the role 
the role model that we should be looking up to. I'm encouraging our um, elders from different um, ethnic backgrounds because we are quite diverse ourselves um, to, um, you know, to also come to, uh, through and um, make those attempts to know the people of the land as well and what history that they shared, good and bad. Um, and I think that's really, really important um, so that our future generations are also aware of that. So thank you so much for that kōrero. Um, I think we're going to move to the second part of the question, which it becomes a little bit more intense when we talk about, um, you know, world. I think as soon as I take the the, the um, word, you know, world, um, I go like, oh, things are going to become complex because it's just just the way that life is. But um, when what informs your views on world affairs and local issues, you reckon? Um, when I look at local issues and international affairs I always try to look at it not through just a personal perspective um, I think that it's very easy to just look to the likes of like social media and newspaper articles and whilst don't get me wrong they're really great sources of information at times um, they too can be curated to look at a certain way or look through a certain lens so I always try to get it from a really holistic approach um, so getting different people's opinions um, but ensuring that it's in a healthy way um, emotionally and physically but also looking at the likes of um, you know, the values of the Tongas Whenua, um, my family's values, my faith, just lots of different aspects. Um, and then kind of coming up with my own opinions and my own development. And I think at times, um, being a young person, sometimes we can be viewed that all of our information and all of our opinions come directly from social media. Um, so it's important that we're able to have well-rounded discussions um, about where our opinions come from and why they're backed up with our own experiences. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a reason why, you know, we give so much um, of, um, I guess, um, reference to scholarly and academic articles because those are attempts to get the right information and there's a lot of research, you know, behind those. They may be biased, but I think there's a reason why we should look out for stuff that um, comes from the baseline and are from the people that we want to hear from and not necessarily what is preserved of those people by someone else. Um, and I think that happens quite a bit on social media nowadays. Um, so I really, really, um, you know, like people who take that effort and time to go a little bit deep and see where things are coming from. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Um, is there a certain, I guess this is a little bit out of question, but um, I know this would correlate with your passion quite a bit. Um, is there a certain world of fear that you're currently quite, um, you know, out there in the community for? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'm very passionate about climate activism, um, especially like marine conservation, plastic pollution, um, everything that comes with it and I think a big part of that uh, was when I first got into the climate conversation I kind of realized that a lot of our indigenous communities in the Pacific were being neglected um, yeah. and then I was kind of recognizing oh is that because they're smaller or is it because um, that they're not necessarily very wealthy countries mm -hmm. um, and having a look as to okay why is it that we why aren't we seeing this in the media? You know, why aren't we trying to donate and send as many um, resources as we can to these communities? So a definite, yeah, a definite part to play um, would be to get amongst the climate strikes in New Zealand, um, which is a nationwide initiative um, and we're still very active in this space. Yeah, yes. definitely. And I've seen you do quite a bit of stuff with them, um, you know, and also take that further on to 
couple of um, ministry um, that you have been working with and also like other activism groups. So that's been amazing to see that it's not just restricted to one group of people making change, but also collaborating um, and bringing different groups of people together, um, you know, to make your voice even more stronger. So that's been really, really amazing um, to see. And um, as you've mentioned that, you know, our Pacific communities are the ones who are taking a little bit of extra stuff that comes from climate change. Um, you know, I do want to acknowledge um, what's happening in Tonga right now. So all the crisis and the volcano eruption, um, the flooding and the, um, you know, um, underwater, some of the islands are going underwater. Um, and I have a couple of friends there. So uh, you guys all are in our prayers and I hope um, things get better real soon. Um but um, stay strong. Kia kaha. Um, moving on <laughs> um, to the interpersonal level, I guess. Um, and this is about um, how conversations would look like between you and me um, that ultimately sort of like um, becomes um, a whole stereotype or a whole idea and a whole community. Um, but I think I think one of the questions that you chose and I, and I'm, I'm quite happy that you chose this question is, what is privilege? Yeah, um, I always recognize when I come into spaces such as this that I carry immense privilege with me, um, whether that's white privilege, cis privilege, straight privilege, um, all the things. So I think the privilege is walking into a, a space um, I think I had this concept recently explained to me that privilege is like riding a bike. Um, so when you um, are, you know, when you have these privileges, it's like you're riding a bike downhill with a tailwind and everything seems easy. But as soon as you come onto the brunt of privilege and you're the group that's the minority, it's then that you realize that privilege exists um, mm. and that it's, it, it can be incredibly destructive at times. And that's like riding uphill on a bike with a headwind you know um so I think that privilege is often some of the microaggressions that we see um Mm. are often heavily linked to privilege um but it's also the things that we don't realize like uh systemic like a lot of things that are systemic are often based off of privilege as well um Mm. so I think it's important that we're able to dismantle those entirely um Mm. so that yeah that the privileges that I often see um, that I have, but I don't recognize at the brunt of that some people can never have to face those. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's interesting how you describe the bike. I've never thought of it before. <laughs> so I think it's a very new concept, but it does make sense in the way you describe it. Um, I think it makes sense to you more as well. Um, and I think you do carry a uh, sort of like a minority um I guess subtitle what a lot of people would say is that you you are a migrant in this country um you know and how's that experience been for you you know juggling between two cultures because it's still quite the contrast I would imagine yeah yeah I think um it's it's a kind of a weird space because I think initially when I walked into primary school um you know I was the cool kid because I knew how to Irish dance and I sounded funny but I I was never kind of outcasted in some you know in some um especially people of color that are migrants as well that face those kind of ideals um and that I never had to face racism because of the color of my skin but I still was a migrant um, which is a weird thing Um, and sometimes I'll go into spaces around the race relations conversation and people won't recognize that I'm a migrant until I've told them that I'm Irish Mm. um, which is also a bit of a weird space to be in Mm. Um, but then again it holds immense privilege that I've recognized what it's like to be a migrant um, but my parents moved here um, in terms of opportunity um, and wanting us to have 
education and all these different experiences and it wasn't from a place of um you know war or corrupt government which is something that I'm always really grateful for as well yeah Yeah. but I think it's something that I carry with me recognizing that I try to uphold two cultures um especially because you know um Ireland wasn't necessarily colonized but there was a almost a war um and it's become something that was physical it also became religious and then became emotional and you know there's still a lot of implications of that scene in Ireland today um so I always hold that with me um that it was not this necessarily the same, but it was similar timelines and similar circumstances between that of Tonga Tafinua and the British and Ireland and the British as well, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And I, I think, um, you know, the way you describe it, it's weird that a lot of people don't recognize you as a migrant until you tell them that you are. Um, I think that's something that can discourage quite a bit of people. Um, you know, if you're coming to a new crowd and you're trying to get out of your shell. So um, yeah, definitely. And kudos for you for not taking that in a way that you you know, um, maybe brings down your energy level, but you take that um, and make sure that you still represent the two cultures that you hold close to yourself. So that's um, epic and amazing um, for you to do. So I guess I've talked quite a bit about what privilege is for myself um, on the show. um, And I always repeat the same stuff, but I think um, privilege looks different for different people. I think I have the privilege of education. Um, and if I compare that to my people back in Fiji, um, they probably won't have that now, given that COVID is a thing, flooding, mm-hmm. hurricane um, is a thing as well. And, you know, governments are not really that much of a help at the moment. So, um, you know, I'm way too much privileged. <laughs> I don't know if that's a way of describing it, way too yeah. much privileged, <laughs> but I am at, that, at, the, at the moment. And you realize that, you know, sometimes there's not enough food a packet of noodles is shared among four to five people in a in a family um and that's how stuff are in Fiji and and I have a table full of stuff a snack so I think that's a privilege as well um so I always ensure to finish my plate of food even though if I don't like it because a lot of people don't have that um so yeah I think privilege for me um is something that I carry with gratitude though, is because I know that whatever privilege I have um, gives me the power to influence change um, that can give back to my community. So that's the way I carry my privilege and not feel guilty um, of carrying that privilege, but that's sort of what privilege and what comes to my mind when I think of privilege. Um, So yeah, moving on to question number four. Um, We're on a run today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what is the difference between racism and discrimination? Oh, I was a bit apprehensive of picking this question. Um, yeah. or, you know, um, as a Pākehā, I'm always a bit iffy about picking questions that involve people of colour and that's not because um, I don't want to be politically incorrect, but it's more so that I want to make sure that I'm... How do I say it? I want to make sure that I'm you know, taking into account everything that they've experienced that I have not mm-hmm. um, and also go at it from a place of respect um, but also a place of acknowledging my privilege as well. Um, but I definitely think that a huge thing um, between racism and discrimination is that racism is often systemic um, yeah. and discrimination is not to say that discrimination isn't but it can be more so outspoken. Um, and I think that's because racism in New Zealand, especially among our rangatahi can at this time and in this space, um, often it's not as morally and socially 
acceptable as it was Um, and I think that it's taking different forms um, and it's taking the form of being systemic more so than outspoken um, but different forms of discrimination aren't at that point yet where it's not morally acceptable while it shouldn't be Um, yeah so yeah that's what my view is is that racism has it's the same and it's still there it's just changing forms while discrimination um, is still can be more outspoken in our society today as well yeah yeah, that's very interesting and um, similar to what I would explain, you know, um, describe the difference between racism um, and discrimination, I guess. Um, but adding on to that, I think discrimination can be reversible. So somebody from people of color, a person of color can, um, you know, discriminate someone who's Pakeha or is white. But when yeah. we look at racism, we're looking more at systemic stuff that's been done through generation and ultimately to some point, you know, reflects a certain ideology difference you know um, towards a certain group of people um a lot of our systems are um racist but they also can be described as um discriminating mm-hmm. um but discrimination you know trades back uh, like comes back to a lot with um i guess bullying um that can be done you know from anyone to the other person so i think mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about discrimination while the racist structures do reflect discrimination discrimination on its own i believe is more on an individual and personal level um but when you talk about racism you're talking about structures ideologies that um you know disadvantage a certain group of people i think disadvantage is not the word <laughs> i think that's a very um yeah. subtle way of explaining what racism is <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, definitely yeah, but I think I hope that makes sense, um, at least from what I think the difference between racism and discrimination would be um, from my perspective. But yeah, yeah, I think you did a great job um, in explaining. And I think this question is something that a lot of people would, um, you know, dodge, would try to avoid. Because again, like you've said, political correctness, which I don't know what is meant to mean. I think Robbie and I were having a conversation in one of the opposite uh, episodes that it's rubbish. It's not really a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I don't think um, as, as soon as people get rid of their, I guess, um, fear of being politically incorrect or correct, I think answering this question doesn't look um, as bad as what it, a lot of people yeah. look like. Um, yeah. And I encourage our listeners to use this question <laughs> and have a conversation. I mean, don't go to someone and say, <laughs> what is the difference between discrimination and racism? Of course, that's going to spark a, I don't know, whatever it may, but um, yeah. question for this okay. definitely, I think it's a valid one and a very yeah. important one um, in, the, in the society we currently live in um, to have this conversation, especially about yeah. discrimination, racism. I think the second part of the question, if you want to answer, is about um, what is prejudice and bias, Rekin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think um, I'll, pr- I'll probably answer more so the second part. Um, yeah. I think bias is something they always say, you know, that um, racism is taught. You're not born racist. And I think um, in terms of bias, it's a similar thing. Um, that your experiences, your education, the privileges that you hold often determine your bias and your view on things. Um, So I think that's definitely a huge part. Um, And that's not to say 
that I, I totally recognize that, you know, your childhood um, and your education and your socioeconomic environment um, and everything that you grew up with definitely shapes who you are. But I don't think that it's a reason that you can continue having racist attitude or derogatory attitudes. Um, and I think going back onto the note of political correctness, um, yeah. a lot of people have been like, oh, you're just becoming, you know, you're just being PC when realistically, I think they're trying to use that as an excuse for them not to change um yeah. that by you know not being pc they're just speaking you know freedom of speech when realistically they're just having still having derogatory attitudes that they could change um yeah. if they tried to educate themselves and took the time out of the day to try and educate themselves yeah. so yeah but i definitely think that bias um is a formation um and is cultivated um but it too can be untaught yeah yeah yeah, and I, again, I mean, <laughs> you sound a little bit unsure, but you did a really good job in explaining Bob as well again. I think when we talk about prejudice, it's it's sort of like a preconceived opinion of something that you may have, you know, um, you don't need to see it by your eyes. Um, a lot of it comes from stories and gossips. Well, some, some of the time, I guess it can be true. I don't know. I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, but I think a lot of prejudice is about preconceived opinions that you may have of certain things and stuff. Um, whereas bias, I, I like to think there's a lot more reflective of what you see through, what you have been um, shown throughout your whole life. Um, that can be through, you know, family, can be through the environment that you live in or just experiences that you may have had with other people. Um, and I, I remember having a conversation with my lecturer. We were talking about um, public policymakers and how, you know, the the stance that they have should be neutral when it comes to policy making but can that really be a thing when we talk about um you know we're not using robots to make these policies yeah humans and all of them come from a culture they come from a um you know a background that um that prongs them towards some biases um and can we really depend on those policies if they are biases and how do we remove that is there a way to remove it um so again, the conversation of um, bias and prejudice can go a long way. Um, yeah, a lot of it leads to politics and the conflict that we have in politics. Um, yeah. I guess it's just the way that we are and we can do our best to be transparent with our opinions and values um, to ensure that we're not misleading or doing things that are um, personal benefits and not necessarily for a whole community or society. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, that was a really interesting conversation about racism and discrimination and even prejudice and bias. Um, I never really touched that question much on the, um, I guess, on the show. I think I touched it once with Sarah. Um, she was epic and she even humbled me about some questions. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and if you haven't had a read, uh, sorry, a listen to Sarah's episode, I really highly recommend. Um, she's epic. I think um, now we're moving on to the integration part. So how do whatever we have talked about would look like in a societal level or how would it look like as an ideology or as a, um, as a stereotype or whatever it may look like um, from multiple people having the same opinion or whatever that may look like again. Um, so I think you have been doing a little bit of work in this regard and our whole show is based on this regard um so what is social cohesion um i am always a bit struck with this question um and i think it's because not necessarily social cohesion an overused term um but it's one of those terms that you always kind of hear in the race relations conversation and sometimes it can be a term that's used to kind of 
not go into detail about what it is that we're aiming for. Um, yeah. So I always try to look at social cohesion um, as the end goal. And then, you know, a goal without um, planning is just a dream. So it's always about looking at the tips and the places and the steps that we're going to have to accomplish so that we're able to get there. Um, yeah. And that I think social cohesion is a culture. Um, yeah. Social cohesion is a cultural shift that we're going to have to make. Um, it's not necessarily a place that we're going to reach, but a culture that we're going to cultivate. And I think that's definitely something that I try and carry with me when I'm coming into the conversation about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, I mean, we'll get back to the whole discussion that we just had about social cohesion, but one of the terms that you have been using quite a bit in this, um, you know, in this episode is cultivate. Can you go through with, you know, go through the term? Cause I think a lot of the time it can be interpreted as a good meaning and sometimes it's bad, but what it means for you, just yeah. for clearance of our listeners. Um, I always think of cultivate as something that, when we cultivate something, um, it's kind of the fruit of the labor. It's something that we're going to have to put the mahi in to be able to reach. Yeah. Um, but it's also something that we're not going to be able to do as one singular person. Um, yeah. And whilst one of my favorite quotes um, says that a small group of individuals is the only thing that's going to change the world, I think that changing the world and changing a cultural shift is two different things. Yeah. Um, and so uh, when we talk about cultivating a space, um, especially in regards to social cohesion, um, it's ensuring that everyone's involved in the conversation and that we're not leaving anyone behind. Um, because when we start leaving different groups out or when we start uh, trying to decipher who's going to come onto the walker and who's not going to come onto the walker, um, then we reach a place of, okay, well, are we really going to be able to get there? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's some, well, in my friends group, I would say some deep stuff that you've just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... I think this is what exactly we need and and an approach and an outlook that we need to have currently to do better in the future. Um, and when you talk about it's going to take a small group of people to make that cultural shift, um, social cohesion is that cultural shift um, of inclusivity, of diversity, um, and reflecting that in our um, population, just not on the scales when we need to so, show stats, but also incorporating that with our, you know, government level, as well as our local level, as well as within our people and communities and different societies that we have. So for me, social cohesion is the integration. Um, it's the integration of bringing people together um, and not necessarily not acknowledging their differences but acknowledging their differences and still having a space where all of them can coexist um, and have a yarn and have fun um, so definitely um, talk of what you've said about social cohesion and I'm really impressed with the way that you have taken that question and I've answered it um, and I hope our listeners had um, had that opportunity to hear that closely um, and if you haven't please go back to um, OR Radio <laughs> Station um, website they will have my um, uh, this episode there for you to have a listen to um, so thank you Nora for that question and I think um, I think I do want to go into a little bit of um, context for that question though um, can you think of examples where have you seen social cohesion? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the social cohesion looks like, again, it's, you know, it's a personal obligation. Um, yeah. It's somebody trying to immerse themselves um, into their Māori when they first moved to New Zealand. Um, it's Tatariti being incorporated into our curriculum. Um, and not only in regards to Tangata Whenua, but it's also having cultural food nights, um, mm. you know, having in our local marae, having um, 
ethnic communities being involved in the kapahaka. It's all these different things um, that can sometimes go unnoticed, but we need to be able to celebrate so that we're able to affirm what it is that we're already doing so we can affirm where it is that we want to go to. Um, and I definitely think, obviously, there's way more um, different examples of what social cohesion looks like. Um, but I definitely think, you know, it's just people deciding to get amongst um, the different cultures, um, respect them, um, and as you said, celebrate them for the diversity that they bring. Because I think often um, it's thought of that if we're a diverse nation, that then we have social cohesion. Um, yeah. But unless that diversity is celebrated um, and also given the space to be diverse, then we're not going to reach the space of social cohesion. Yeah, epic. Thank you so much for that quarter. Um, if I if I give you the power in New Zealand or around the world to create social cohesion by doing one thing, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> oh, it's uh, a good question. Uh, give everyone a pack of mosaic cards. No, um, I definitely think that it would just be to encourage authentic conversation. Um, and I think that one of the things that I always think of um, is that when I have a conversation with someone I don't know, I always look for similarities like, whoa, what school did you go to? Or, oh, you know, do you play hockey? Do you do athletics? Um, when realistically, it's in the differences that we find growth and it's in the differences that we're able to really have authentic conversation. Um, so I think that one thing that we can all do um, is when we have a conversation with someone we don't know, regardless of what background they're from, what culture they're from, um, um, their faith, their religion, just having a look at, oh, okay, cool, we're both human beings. Um, what differences do we bring to the table and how do we celebrate those differences? Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, that conversation always looked like is someone, and I really appreciate when people do this, is come up to me and say, how can they pronounce my name right? And from there, you know, it's it's they, it's the acknowledgement that we both are different um, and yeah. we speak are different. But I want to make that attempt um, to say it right. So you tell me yours right, and I'll tell you my right. And I think that's where the authentic conversation would start from, I think. Um, yeah, so definitely. it's little things like this that matter, and they matter to the core, because I know if someone pronounces my name wrong, I would have a bad day. Um, just mm -hmm. knowing the amount of meaning that my parents have put behind my name while, you know, while naming me. So, and I think a lot of ethnic communities would agree that our naming stuff is really, really serious. <laughs> so if you yeah. don't if you don't feel right there's an issue <laughs> yeah no fear and like there's so much identity um and people attach so much of their identity um and their culture and their face and their beliefs um and their morals to you know what they've been named so I think yeah that would be my second one being able to you know um when you go to school people not needing teachers not like feeling the need to be able to shorten people's names which is one of the most frustrating things um yeah. but you know that we take the time to learn people's names learn their differences learn their values um and learn who they are as a person so we can celebrate them as people yeah yeah definitely thank you so much for that conversation i think we just left to the last card and i want to come to the interesting bit about your quotes and a little bit about um your future aspirations and how your new is has been because um i would like to finish on a happier note because all the time whenever <laughs> i get the chance you know to start the conversation with mosaic cards i never finish the cards this is probably the first time that we're going to finish cards um, because irish people talk fast so we're doing <laughs> Oh, Fijian Indians talk fast too. Um, and I think yeah. that has brought us to the end of the episode already. <laughs> um, but how would you describe the collective society of Aotearoa, New Zealand? Um, I 
I always think of it um, as in terms of the race relations conversation, um, we're on a spectrum. In terms of the climate change conversation, we're on a spectrum. Um, whatever lens you look at it from, we're always going a different way. Um, normally, we have the same end goal. Um, yeah. Cohesion, effectively. Um, yeah. But I definitely think it depends on where you're looking at it from. Um, so I think, you know, and we did this exercise. Um, I've done this exercise previously, and it's like put yourself in a line as to where you think you are with your personal relationship with Tadichi. Um, and then a similar one. Yeah, so I've done this um, line, and it's where you sit with your personal obligation with Tadichi um, in terms of your knowledge, your expertise, and where it is that you try and embody it every day. Um, yeah. And it's so definitely whatever lens you look at it from is always going to be different. Um, but I think as a whole, um, the collective society of Aotearoa is, we, we're a very compassionate society at times. Um, I guess it depends on who you are and what your morals are. Um, but I think, yeah, we're a nation of authenticity and we're a nation of collectiveness. Um, yeah. And I just hope that we continue to carry out those values um, and embody those values. And I think embody is one of my favorite words um, because it means to act out an inward idea. Um, so it means that, you know, if you're passionate about racism, then you speak up against racism. You know what I mean? Like it's always embodying what it is that you want to see. Um, and it really is being the change that you wish to see in the world. Yeah, definitely. And I think you summed up really, really beautifully. Um, but I definitely want to go into a lot more detail. Um, and I think you've given a given us a little bit of a glimpse about um, you know, what's a couple of things that you really admired about New Zealand as a country. Um, but if you could just walk us through what are you proud of as a nation or like what do you think so far New Zealand has achieved that you always look up to and say and that I'm glad to be in this country? Yeah, um, I think I'm always inspired by our initial response um, to devastating things, um, such as currently what's going on in Tonga, um, whilst we're having troubles with communicating with them um, because of the disaster that's going on. Um, our first reaction is empathy. Our first reaction is GoFundMe pages. It's trying to create resources and support. Um, and the similar thing with the mosque attacks, it was what can we do to support the community? Um, so I'm really proud of how we respond, um, firstly, and that it's always to respond as a collective, never to leave anyone else behind. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to carry that moving forward as well. Yeah, yeah. What are, what are things that you are not necessarily proud of? Or you, or let me rephrase, rephrase that. What are the areas that do you see New Zealand in the future um, given that there's so much potential in the young people um, making better, like what are, what is things that New Zealand can develop and become more much more better than than, than yeah. what they're right now? Um, I think we could definitely um, uplift the voices of our langatahi um, and continue to include them um, in places of big decisions. I think quite often we think, um, you know, oh, they're not mature enough or they haven't had enough life experiences. And realistically, quite a lot of us, um, especially migrant kids, have had lots and lots of different experiences some pretty wild experiences. Um, so it's about, you know, um, trying to affirm what it is that you've been through um, and never try and neglect those experiences because of your age um and i really think another thing not that not something that i'm not proud of but something we need to continue doing um is you know putting to into the education system um as well as trying to have really cultural culturally competent schools um yes. and ensuring that there's no tokenistic values going on um yes. especially if there's not a lot of diversity in the school itself as well yeah 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 definitely 
Um, thank you for those two. I think there's two more questions into that, but we'll come back to later. I think I just briefly want to share that one thing that I think I'm proud of um, as, as a New Zealand um, resident or citizen, whatever that may look like for everyone, um, is that yeah. um, I always get inspired by how our political system um, is, you know, again, there's like different groups and parties that are, um, you know, pro and against and, you know, all over the place. But when I compared it to a lot of the international, um, you know, government agencies and when I compare it to other countries, I can see like how two politicians on New Zealand can sit together, have a conversation and go and debate um, the next minute in the parliament and vice versa. But with a lot of, um, you know, yeah. other international or like countries, you don't you don't necessarily see that there's a lot more um, chaos in the parliament. Um, so that's one thing that I'm proud of. We have a, um, have a really good image uh, for a political system, even though I don't necessarily agree with a lot of things that a lot of different parties do. Um, and I may agree with <laughs> a lot of things that a lot of different parties do. So... I'm quite particular, yeah. <laughs> quite particular when it comes to political opinion, but just as a general system as a whole, um, I really enjoy watching, watching New Zealand um, debates and I know I can watch it with a lot more ease um, than other, um, part, you know, other parts of the world. So, yeah, that's one thing that I think I really like, um, but that's maybe because I, I'm just interested in politics in particularly. Um, one thing that I'm not... Um, not proud of I don't think that's necessarily that I'm not proud of um, because I think when you talk about someone or like a whole society you sort of like disadvantaging some when you say um, you know you're not proud of them because a lot of the time there are different people in the community who are making and trying for that change um, so I would yeah. never probably use the word I'm not proud of um, but I think there's a lot more to do around cultural competence supporting minority groups um, that is being done and I see amazing charity work being done by you know big corporations but that also needs to include um, you know not on the tokenistic level that just donating money mm -hmm. to organizations but also ensuring, or, or, you know also ensuring that you're taking that into your um, industrial areas when you're um, you know producing stuff and ensuring that our climate is taken care of and stuff like that so um, yeah and I think a lot of that's been done nowadays um, so as a, how can we all collectively behave in a way that is better than now, um, better um, than we are now? Um, I think it's just start asking the questions um, to start <laughs> confronting what it is that we don't see that's right. Um, yeah, the YWCA have just put out a campaign called Mind the Gap um, yeah. about the gender ethnic pay gap. Um, and it's a really cool co-popper. Um, but I think their biggest thing is just ask. Um, yeah. And I think we need to go into that um, in terms of, you know, um, in your local school, if you see um, that it seems really tokenistic and that the girls that are being put up um, on the promotion boards are all around school are all girls of colour. Um, and that every single one of them is asked every single time, um, even if they're not necessarily comfortable to do so, you've got to ask the question, uh, why are you picking them? You know what I mean? Um, and why, you, why aren't you reflecting this um, in other areas? You've also got to ask questions like, oh, if your brand is um, so-called sustainable, why is it that you use plastic packaging? Um, or where is it that your factory is now they're meeting um, the workers' health requirements and that are they getting paid the living wage? So yeah. there's lots of questions that we need to keep asking. And I think the biggest thing is, is that we just have to ask. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's pretty much the summary of this whole question, I guess, like as a collective, what 
what you would like to see or like how you would describe is ask when you don't know and um you know be there when someone needs you while taking care of yourself pretty much all yeah um yeah definitely um yeah um last question on the thing is what can you do personally to contribute I think you've already answered that but if there's anything that you would like to add to that um personally I'm gonna just keep asking yeah, yeah um, <laughs> even when I'm afraid to do so um even when it's not the necessarily socially cool thing to do um yeah, yeah to just keep embodying the change that I want to see at every level um and to never upset or to never um try and neglect different co-puppers because they're not mine um but to uplift everyone because every co-pupper holds value um yeah and all of them are trying to move towards a collective kind equitable sustainable aotearoa so yeah, yeah ensuring that I continue to uplift um the mahi of others yeah I'm really impressed with you Nora honestly like <laughs> <laughs> you probably um you know have can and I'm so glad that um a lot of ministries are engaging with you and putting you on the table because a lot of what you say um is reflective um you know of the of the population who really feel it um you know feel that way so thank you for doing that now we have pretty much done all the conversations for the mosaic cards so we're done with that anything else you wanted to add like a thought that come to you or anything like that before we move into and talk about you Oh, um, I don't think so. Oh, um, support the YWCA's Mind the Gap campaign. Um, support the Make It 16 campaign. Yeah. Um, get amongst the climate strikes. Yeah, just uh, do what you can. Um, obviously, taking care of your emotional well-being is a huge thing um, and your physical well-being. But just make sure that um, you, my prayers for you for this year is that you go out there um and you be your best self and you make the change you want to see whatever that looks like for you mm. yeah if you ever need just um I don't know email me google me um and then contact me if you ever need some different ideas or have questions of things we'll get involved in yeah it's probably yeah. It. wow awesome <laughs> an influencer you are <laughs> you briefly mentioned about um, um make it 16 campaign do you want to give that give our listeners a little bit um um background about what it is you don't have to if you don't want to uh well i recently started supporting the make it 16 campaign uh last last year end of last year um yeah. it's a really cool co-papa and it's basically about lowering the voting age in new zealand um from 18 to 16 um, just so that we're ensuring that we the Langatahi voice is being heard at a government level. Um, yeah, so it's a really cool co-papa and they have meetings on a Monday night at 7pm. If you ever want to come along and join, um, just em- or text them, um, DM them on their Instagram um, or their Facebook. They have heaps of different platforms on there as well as signing the petition um, on the Make It 16 website as well. Yeah. yeah, I think Action Station is involved with that one. So that's, yeah. that's probably another yeah, one. Action yeah, so yeah. if you go to Action Stations, because um, they champion a lot of different petitions and stuff like that. So if you go on their website um, and, you know, type Make It 16, that can be a starting point if you're finding hard to, you know, finding it hard to navigate your way around to the right stuff. Um, but yeah, that's all about Make It 16. That's all about, um, you know, Mind the Gap. Um, that's all about mosaic cards. That's all about climate change. Well, let's talk about you, Nora, because I think uh, <laughs> you're someone who 
who's probably going to be one of those interesting listener uh, list, uh, participants on our show um, because you what you have and what you bring on the table is quite different to the people that has been on the show um, lately. So let's talk about you. So um, you you have talked about, um, you know, a little bit about what you have been doing so far, but building upon to that, what are your aspirations ultimately? Oh, um, I always kind of question this. I always go back and forth um, on what it is that I want to go. Um, at the start of at the start of last year, I was going to be a physio. Yeah. Um, so my plan was to go down to Otago, first year health side, um, and be a physio. And then I kind of had a change in heart, and I was like, actually, I just want to advocate for people. Um, and I think coming in with privilege, I always want to ensure that I'm always advocating for people and uplifting people and not speaking on behalf of yeah. um especially if I can't you know if I haven't experienced what they've been through um yeah so my aim to the future is probably just to go where the Lord sends me but uh working with you know people uh serving people and I always try and value servants uh service over leadership um and whilst they're both very different things um they're also very similar so ensuring that I'm serving people um and that I'm you know meeting their needs and not trying to lead them and not trying to um be the person that's necessarily always speaking into the microphone um mm. but to be the one that's always you know having the hard conversations as well yeah, yeah I think I'll probably potentially study um either politics or development studies um something in there or else work um with non-for-profits it's probably yeah. my aims and aspirations yeah but just Any particular to uh, non-for-profit that you've been thinking about maybe um in what sector i don't know there's hate um yeah. i really love the mahi of world vision i think they're really cool um but also like there's so many different ones you know shark to youth is really cool as well um, <laughs> yeah um, heaps, there's heaps and heaps of different co-poppers um but you know regardless of whether I work for them I will continue to uplift them and support them advocate for them um everywhere I go yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day my aim is that you know when I'm 90 years old um even if the climate you know if the climate's two degrees hotter and we haven't reached a place of social cohesion that I can look back and be like I did everything in my power um I tried my best um and I met some pretty cool people I had fun doing it so yeah 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 I think when a lot of the time we talk about advocacy and stuff that you know when we talk about our passion what we miss out is having fun um and that's when a lot of the burnout comes in so as long as you are having fun I think your work (laughs) is fun and it will show that happiness when it's you know up to the other people so yeah yeah, we were talking about quotes right and you said you had multiple quotes that you wanted to share if you still have it on your head we'll we'll go (laughs) we'll go to it one by one yeah well I had about five um but I kind of came to one um and it's to own and know your tūranga waiwai um so your tūranga waiwai is what you stand for it's your standing place um so it's to ensure that you feel confident and comfortable standing for your tūranga waiwai um whether that be racism climate change feminism all the you know um whatever that might be whatever social change you're trying to cultivate um whatever systemic change you're trying to cultivate um make sure that you feel comfortable standing for it, you feel confident confident standing for it um you know the history of the campaign you know what the future of the campaign is going to look like and that you have an end goal um yeah but to always be proud of your two dunga is probably 
my life motto um, to know what it is to stand for it, um, to know how it makes you feel to stand for it. Um, because, you know, two, two years ago, I was just, not to say I was just playing sport. If you're playing sports, your thing, that's epic as well. Um, but I wasn't involved in any of this type of mahi. Um, and I think I definitely wasn't as fulfilled as I currently am. And I don't do this mahi to feel fulfilled, um, but it's a part that comes with it um, yeah. of, of, you know, striving um, and creating or cultivating the change that you want to see. Um, the fulfillment comes with it as you try and reach the, as you reach the goals along the way to fulfilling mm-hmm. that goal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I always ensure that I know what it looks like um, to stand for racism um, or to stand against racism, effectively. Um, <laughs> you know, to stand um, stand for climate change. Um, yeah. yeah, to stand for a kinder, more equitable and more sustainable Aotearoa. Yeah, yeah. Probably me. Damn, <laughs> you're so inspirational, honestly. And this is not me saying, you know, that it's- <laughs> Because you have given me a little speech, but because I actually have seen you work, um, you know, over the over the short period of time that we've been introduced to each other. But I've also done a little bit of research on you. You know, I've gone and typed up who Nora is, and then you suddenly see a lot of work with the UN stuff, um, and as well as other stuff that you have done. And I see, and I'm I'm so proud that you that you know your privilege, but at the same time you're using it to uplift of those people that come from minorities. I think that's where we exactly want to be with a lot of, um, you know, Pakeha community that want to support us. And I think you role model that even at such a young age, so beautifully um, and so inspirational, not just to the, um, you know, respective Pakeha communities, but also to our minorities, that they are people who are realizing the importance um, of the different diversity that we bring to the table and are, and are taking that um, on board with their why, with their Turanga YY. And I think that's um, epic and it's beautiful to see play out. Um, so, yeah, I um, I had a question regarding burnout. I think, you know, like you say, you play off sport, you study, um, you know, and you're doing so much mahi in the community, you're involved with couple of ministries as well or ministry I mean you're also involved with a lot of non-profit um, organization trying to cheer them up um, how do you keep up your energy level high and you know um, and do you get burnt out like how do you deal with burnt out if you do get burnt out oh, it's <laughs> definitely been a journey um, of you know dealing with not necessarily dealing with burnout but seeing it um, and I think become so evident um and quite often um especially you know um in the space of traveling young wahine um that we often not necessarily glamorize burnout but we glamorize trying to do as much as you can all the time yeah. um and so when i went to i went to um oh the y25 wanganga um up in tamaki makoto and they basically said like team you don't have to like you don't have to glamorize burnout like it's not cool. Um, and from there, I kind of put steps um, and put little kind of red flags in place um, that I realized, you know, like if I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking I had to send emails, so it's probably not a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so just put in little red flags in place. And I realized that, okay, I'm going too hard. Let's pull back. Um, and I think the biggest thing was realizing that I don't have to say yes all the time. And when you start to say no, 
it's showing people that you respect yourself enough to know your boundaries and to know your worth um, and not to know your worth in a place of being prideful and thinking that you're too good to support the co-papa, um, but being in a way of sending them an email and being like, hey, I'm actually really busy at the moment, but I'd love to support it further in the future if I have the capacity to do so. Yeah, um, yeah so it's definitely been an evident thing, um, especially you know, with playing sport. And I think what's, what I found is that at times I've worked so hard with Mahi that I've ended up neglecting sport or the other way around. So I want to make sure that, you know, I always have balance in terms of I do sport for enjoyment. I do Mahi because it feels fulfilling, but I also love the co-papa and I have the end goal in mind at all times, um, as well as having times for friends, family, um, and, you know, to also be 16 as well, to, you know, go to the movies with friends or go to the cafe on a Sunday night and not to feel guilty about doing so. Because yeah. sometimes it comes to the point that we overwork ourselves so much that we feel guilty to have time off. Yeah. Um, when realistically, if we don't have that time off, that's when we're going to get burnt out. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Also setting email reminders so that I only check my emails <laughs> twice a day, which has been a big thing. Um, yeah. You know, not feeling the need to check them all the time. Because yeah. as many of my classmates can attest to last year in chemistry, I found that I was every chemistry period, I was sending emails, which was not good. <laughs> that was not a good way to do it um yeah so now you check them in the morning check them in the evening um yeah you don't have to feel the need and you set certain times to do things um as well yeah and that you say no that's been the biggest thing saying no yeah yeah and that sounds something that a lot of um you know activists currently struggle with so I think that again can be um something that we all look up to I know that I struggle with at the moment um because I'm working part-time and then I'm studying full-time and then I'm doing other stuff with the community so um I'm trying to manage five emails right now so <laughs> I don't know how I'm doing that <laughs> it's something that I'm just trying to navigate my way through at the moment so thank you for being such an inspiration thank you for joining us today I really really enjoyed um and I've learned so much from you today so thank you so much for the basket of knowledge that you have put on the table for me and the group um you know um to benefit and take goodies out of so thank you so much for that um i'm just going to end the episode here um, and then we'll chat later um but thank you everyone for listening and joining in um until next time which is two weeks from this um wednesday i will get back to you and we'll have another episode of here i say until then take care stay safe bye 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 You were listening to Hear Us Say with Renisha at Otago Access Radio at 105.4 FM Dunedin. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.